my mm -hmm. feeling is if we aren't developing ourselves, we're not going to get better. We aren't going to advance our profession and that prioritizing yourself is going to help you look beyond just the core skills of learning mm -hmm. and help you make better connections to both the business and what matters to them as well as to your craft. Welcome to Making Better, a podcast from Better Everyday Studios devoted to helping small learning teams have a big impact. Today we are talking to Lauren Sanders, author of the book Empathy is Not a Weakness and longtime learning development professional. In L&D, we talk a lot about developing others, but not so much about developing ourselves. I know Lauren has a lot to say on this topic, so I wanted to have her on. Let's dive in. Lauren, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Good. I'm excited to be here. You're one of my favorite people to follow, so you might call me oh, a fangirl. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I am definitely a fan of you as well. I mean, in fact, we were we were talking recently for the first time, and um, I was just really excited. You have such a background, such a wealth of back of knowledge in the L&D space. You've been in it for quite a while. You have a lot of amazing thoughts. Um, so I think to kick things off, I gave a little bit of an introduction, but I'd love to hear uh, in your own words, how would you describe kind of your, your path through learning and development? Sure. Thanks, Matt. My learning career, I would probably describe it as an accidental learning detective. I fell into learning because I facilitated well, and I would get called on for special projects that required people to teach something, and I kept finding gaps in the content, so I organically just started creating bridge content to fill gaps, and at the time, I didn't even know that there were jobs outside of actual facilitation of training sessions. Yeah. Over time, I was working in a role that I felt like I could do in my sleep and saw an opening in the learning space and applied for it. And I was cast sideways into a role where I did design, development, programming, and training with no formal background at all. I was very lucky to be on a team of amazing people that taught me how to use the tools in the toolbox, but I still never felt like I was very good at it. So I started reading and studying as much as I could about the process of learning. And I was also teaching part-time in an MBA program and started noticing that there was an interesting difference between education proper and corporate learning. And I started thinking about where they came together and where they were different. And once I started learning about learning, I just kept going and all of the pieces just fascinate me. And that's kind of how I got here. That's awesome. I, I got to stop you on that point because I felt the exact same way when I first kind of got into this. No formal background in L&D and uh, was always interested in that similarities and differences in the education space and the corporate training space. What were where did what were the things that you kind of looked at and saw as where where they met or what was the same and what was different? I'm a huge analyzer of things. So I look at the education space as very focused academically on knowledge and not as focused on practice unless you're in a program that has some sort of cohort that's being taught by people that actually live in the space that they're teaching about because then you can blend it a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Man, that, that's just like exactly spot on, I, I think, in my experience as well, um, is it's, um, yeah, especially when we talk about uh, when we have so many, you know, so many people come from education, so many people are teachers who come into L&D is kind of pinpointing that difference in focus of from knowledge to practices is, is so essential. The other thing that I learned on the way, and I didn't know it was a 
problem until I started studying the measurement of effective programming. And it was, we cared about what people got done, but not really if people learned what they needed to or could apply it. And that was curious to me on the academic side we would do things, but we never actually knew what happened when they went back to work. It was an executive MBA program and I'm, I'm still teaching in it, but we're mm -hmm. starting to do better things to measure how it works on that side. But then I also learned in the learning space, while we talk about measurement a lot, not everybody really understands how to measure the effectiveness of programs. And I keep finding myself saying in the corporate space, we are not measuring the effectiveness of people. That's not what we do. Yeah, no, yeah, and that that's interesting. Okay, so then what do you think we should be on that front? Like, what should we be doing? If the world were perfect, we would teach people about measurement first and help them understand that you don't have to be a math whiz to understand measurement, but it helps you know if what you're doing is actually working or if you're just kind of hit, um, hitting your head against the wall. <laughs> I use yeah. often, I use the cupcake analogy, talk about this a lot, where I tell my stakeholders, well, what you're saying makes sense, but I know if I eat a cupcake every day, it's not going to be good for me. I love cupcakes. I don't want to stop eating them every day. And mm. it's hard to stop eating them every day. But unless I practice not eating them, I'm not going to be able to stop. I'm just going to keep eating mm -hmm. cupcakes. And it doesn't matter how much I know about not eating so much sugar all the time or things that are not great for yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the fitness analogy is so, and health analogy is so spot on because like everyone knows the right things to do in, in that kind of situation. I mean, for the most part, you know, it's like, if you want to lose weight, just like work out more and eat or move more and eat less. Like, right. it's not like that's, it's not, it's, there's not a big breakthrough there. The breakthrough is in getting the actual practices down and like, and all that stuff. That's yeah. I think that's, that's such a, such a good analogy. What helped me was in my first learning role, I kept on training people and delivering content that was being told to me, dictated. Mm -hmm. And I kept learning that for some reason, about two to three months into the role, the people weren't performing very well. And I started mm -hmm. asking questions about that and kind of reverse engineering it back to figuring out what was going wrong. And it was because we weren't giving them what they needed to actually do the real job. We had simulated things, but we completely missed the environment that they were in or some mm -hmm. other piece that in the real world, they couldn't do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I've seen that a lot is you teach, it's almost like you're teaching people how to use the wrong tool. It's like you're, you're teaching the course with a, I don't know, with a power screwdriver and they just have a handheld one or something like that, you know, out, out in the works, out in the works. Or a lot of show me or a lot of context, mm -hmm. but not performance support time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm sure we could have a very long conversation about the need to tie things more to practices and principles, but I do want to make sure to also talk about the thing that I was really interested in the last time we talked about is you st were starting to spend a lot of time thinking a lot about 
the development of learning and development professionals. You know, we talk a lot about developing other people, um, and that's that's our role. Um, but how many of us actually get a chance to develop ourselves in our role, and what does that development look like? Um, yeah, do you think that? Are you? Would you agree that that gets skipped over a lot? I do. We are great at giving other people shoes as the shoemaker, but we are not good at making our own or making sure that we even have shoes on our feet sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, like, when you think about that, how would how do you break down the L and D profession? Like, do you, do you have different like lanes or, or anything that you think of people being in? I am a prime example of how somebody can work in the learning space and not really know anything about the way learning works. So my <laughs> mm -hmm. feeling is if we aren't developing ourselves, we're not going to get better. We aren't going to advance our profession and that prioritizing yourself is going to help you look beyond just the core skills of learning mm -hmm. and help you make better connections to both the business and what matters to them as well as to your craft. You learn to speak a more common language, you'll make inroads faster. And then we need to question what we know already and consider new ways of thinking about our craft, which is why I love the learning myths, myth busters group. But really yeah. it's about managing the information and prioritizing it and strategically planning how we're gonna do it and also a little bit of project management mixed in. Yeah. No, that's, that sounds right. So then if I, when you think about it from that perspective of I need to develop myself, um, how do I start to break that down? Like, are there different things I need to identify to work on strategically? Or do, do you have different kind of circles of, of or practice areas? I think it's a funny question because I currently work in a space where there's clear separations of roles. And I think mm -hmm. the most important thing we can do is be a good consultant we have to ask mm -hmm. the right questions. We have to make connections to the business and understand the business area that we're supporting. Uh, we have to be good listeners. We have to listen for what's important and not necessarily what we're being told is necessary. Uh, we have mm -hmm. to understand the processes and the moments where performance support makes a difference. And then we have to negotiate an influence. And to me, that's the meat of the learning profession. We have to help the stakeholders okay. believe that there is no 40 hour expert and that learning is an ongoing process, not a one and done thing. Until we can do mm -hmm. all of that, it doesn't matter how beautifully you can design something mm. because of course we need people who can write and we need people who can do graphics and we need people who can do multimedia and other engaging things, but none of it matters if we get the needs wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's really starting out from the point of view of like you said, becoming that consultant, like that's where, it, that's where it all starts is like, how do you, how do you work with stakeholders? How do you ask questions? All Like that's almost, I would imagine maybe, maybe it's like the first, cause we always, I think we spend a lot of time talking about making good content like that. That's, that's what right. a lot of people talk about. And then maybe the next thing, in, at least in terms of what you talked about is doing needs assessment. And then the next thing maybe after that would be managing the relationships. But if you can't manage the relationships and kind of nothing else matters. So maybe are you saying like that's almost where you need to start is like learning how to have those relationships? Yeah, because if you don't have the relationship, the business is not going to trust you enough to tell you really yeah. what they need or to yeah. give you the information you're looking for. And I think when we talk about audience analysis as part of our 
needs assessment or however we set it up because everybody does it differently. It, it really mm -hmm. comes down to not just knowing who the audience is and what someone is telling you their needs are, but what kind of environment are they actually working in? Mm -hmm. Is it what you're being told or is that nirvana? Getting into the root cause of, of really why there's a problem and having as much data as possible to uncover things that may not be said so that you can ask the right questions in the language mm -hmm. of the business makes all the difference in the world. And where it gets really interesting is when we talk about measurement and I see a lot of newer, um, I'll call them learning consultants for lack of a better term, to go in and start to do that analysis and start with a question of, well, what are the KPIs? And half the time the stakeholder doesn't even know what their KPIs are or what a KPI is. Yeah. And so yeah. I've always told the people on my team, why don't you ask them what they measure at the end of the year when they're doing the performance management, what are they measuring? And then somehow reverse engineer that back into the objectives of whatever it is you need them to be able to do. Yeah, I don't think you can ever under, I'm not sure to be over or underestimate just like how much, how many companies don't really know a lot about what they do and like what good is. Like a lot of them just don't know it and you have to do that work with them in order to figure out what to train. Well, you go back to that 40 hour expert thing, right? One week of training and I'm going to be an expert in this, according to the stakeholder. You know, they, they went to new hire for a week. Why can't they do their job perfectly? We don't, we're not in the business of creating 40 hour experts, but what we do need to do is be able to communicate that we are measuring the program's effectiveness during the program and after the program. And if we're doing it according to Kirkpatrick, for lack of a better way to describe it, because that's when everybody knows, um, we shake your hand at day 91. And instead of just falling off, we're following you. But if your performance measurements for that role aren't tied to what we're teaching and training and are not tied to all of that measurement, you're never going to get the results that you want and it's going to fall off. Yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny. I was actually having a conversation with somebody about onboarding recently and developing onboarding. And I said something like, cause a lot of times I think it's all about like a customer relationship and figuring out who is your customer for this and really onboarding. I think we normally think of like the customer as the person in the room. And we spend a lot of time in training, thinking about the customer as in the learner, um, but especially in like onboarding's case, the customer is the frontline manager. Like that, that's really who you're, yes. who you're serving. And so, you know, it's figuring out what they, what their expectations are of this person as they walk out of orientation. Which is why you should have support tools for them tied yeah. to your programming so that they can help yeah. it live on. Otherwise they don't know yeah. what to do. You have to tell them what to do. Yeah, exactly. So we've talked about a couple things there. There's the there's this figuring out the what you want to measure, but before that, you need to have a relationship so they they will have that conversation with you. Um, what tips do you have for for getting started in that relationship? Like if somebody identifies, okay, I want to develop myself as a professional, as a learning professional, and I want to start. I know I need to develop this skill because right now I'm just kind of an order taker. People are just telling me stuff, and I want to really get involved and be able to ask them those questions. How, how should somebody get started with that? 
I think the path is not linear. It comes down to interest and then opportunity. And the opportunity has Ooh, to be yes. created by people like us who are L&D leaders. And we have to want to connect people and give them opportunities to try out and practice things that they're interested in, no matter what piece of L&D it is but they have to do it in a safe and meaningful environment. I think that we need to reimagine the scope of the L&D practitioner and mm -hmm. help people who are interested feel like partners. And that's a mind sh mindset shift for us. We have a lot of opportunity when it comes to being, I, I like to think of this as, this is talent management. This is talent mobility. That's the type of practitioner we should be beyond the day-to-day -day of what we do. Our job is to make connections that pave the way towards improving business outcomes. And that's done throughout the entire L&D space. We teach people to problem solve. We teach people to communicate. We teach people to think differently in different environments. And that matters beyond the day-to-day. -day. So as an L&D leader, my job is to, hey, if I want to build a bench, I need to find people that are just genuinely interested in L&D and then help them learn about the different pieces and test and try things. We all have conversations about, you know, what's the best part of L&D or what is, can you do this and still be able to do that? Can you be a good measurement person and a good facilitator? Can you be a good facilitator and a good program owner or instructional designer? What I've found is very few people love all of it, but you'll usually yeah. find a piece of it that resonates with you that your heart goes into. And our job is to help people find that, especially if we want to keep our profession going. Yeah. So it's really identifying. Yeah. So people, wh what the needs are of the business and where you need people to go, but, and then finding the right people to, who are interested in those, in those options. So really what it comes down to. And then helping them get awesome. there. It just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, on that point, since you've, you've been on that leadership side, I mean, I think a lot of people in L and D, you know, they, um, are the person doing the work. They're, they're the person like, like on the ground, doing the work, working directly with the stakeholder. Um, far fewer people are in that management role. So from your point of view as a learning leader, um, how have you worked with your team to find those opportunities or figure out those interests and make sure you're steering them in the right direction? It's interesting that you asked that question. Uh, I had someone, I used to lead our measurement team and I had someone on the measurement team that said, hey, I think I might want to be an instructional designer. So she applied for an instructional design job and she didn't get it because clearly mm -hmm. you can't have that job unless you have some sort of experience with doing instructional design and understanding yeah. how adult learning theory yeah. works. Doesn't matter how much yeah. measurement you already know, although those two yeah. things really marry well together. So when she didn't get the job, I had a conversation with her about let's try this out. Let's see if we can find a stretch assignment for you or an opportunity for you to ride along or partner with somebody who's doing this because let's find out if it's even what you want to do at all. And yeah. we were able to get her a partner in instructional design and they worked on a project together. And at the end of the project, she said, I don't like this. This isn't for me. <laughs> but, but I mean, you want as many people to do that as you do, you know, to decide that they love it and it's what they want to do for the rest of their lives. But if we don't give people yeah. the opportunity to try it, 
and self-select in or self-select out, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's such an important one. Uh, and that's amazing that you were able to do that for them as a manager, because I think it's, it's so often the case that managers get very territorial about their, their people and what they do. And it's just, it's just so self-destructive because as soon as the people on your team realize that you care about like the business more than them, it's, it's just, it's going to go downhill. (laughs) I like to think of myself as a talent management professional first and an LND professional second. And so as a talent management practitioner, I believe in the concept of talent mobility. I believe that it is my job as a leader to help people find the things that they love at work and to create opportunities for them to test those things out, uh, get developed and move on. To me, I would rather have a team of people that all gets promoted than a team of people that I can keep forever that doesn't do our profession or the organization that we work for any good if all we do is talent hoard. That's just not good. Yeah. Especially these days, it's just not going to work. I mean, people are at least seemingly leaving companies faster and faster. There's more and more turnover. Um, not only does not only does supporting development make it more likely that they're going to stay longer, but it also just ensures that you have a plan for the inevitable day when they do leave anyway. <laughs> you know, and so by having that constant promotion, moving people forward, moving people around. It just makes for uh, just a a much healthier environment for for everybody, I would think. And if we do it right, the people are smarter than we are, and they come up with better ideas that move our profession along even more. Yes, yes, 100%. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, Awesome. Well, I think that's definitely a big part of what I wanted to talk to you about is this, like, how do you talk to people? How do you find the people on your team? How do you be intentional about the development of the people on your team? Um, anything that I didn't ask you, I know, I know you spent a lot of time talking about this or thinking about this, any other thoughts around this kind of thing that you want to make sure we, we cover? I think from a leadership perspective, it's important to give your people space and time to think and to learn about their craft. So for example, on my team, I ask everyone to take two hours a week to learn something new. And I don't care what that thing Mm. is, but the caveat is when you learn something really cool, you have to bring it back and share it with the team so that we can all learn whatever that thing is. And a lot of times we end up listening to podcasts together or separately and then coming together and talking about them and what they mean and how we can change some of our practices to do X or Y better. Yeah. Just advocating. Yeah. How do you bring that into practice? Because I think that's the kind of thing that a lot of people would aspirationally say they want to do as a leader, but then the day-to-day starts happening, work starts happening. You just kind of, you, you kind of forget about it. Are there things that you're doing to make sure that like that time stays front of mind or that people remember, Hey, I'm supposed to do this or I'm supposed to report back. Do you have any tactics around that? I try to remind them on a regular basis, but I also share information pretty freely. Mm. This this is a great podcast. You should listen to this. There was one not very long ago where Brandon Carson was talking about the future of L&D. 
And mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. so good that I sent it to my team and I said, listen to this. And in our team meeting, we're going to talk about all of these things. So it's so important to like give, be that, um, be that example of, you know, that this is expected that I, you know, it's what, you know, I mean, I expect you to go develop yourself and be interested in things, but I'm too busy and focused and I can't do that. Like they're not going to do it then. Like you as the leader need to be setting that example that even I, I, I'm taking time to, to learn this new stuff and share it with you. So I kind of expect you to do the same with all of us. We even did some project management tactics on one of my teams because we know mm -hmm. that project management is not always top of mind for folks in our world. And it is very top of mind for folks in the business. So one of my mm -hmm. former teams, we talked about what are the words you're going to hear when somebody's talking in terms of project management and what is a task and what is a milestone. And on my current team, we started a practice where I've asked my team members, they work with a lot of different people in project teams because every role is very segmented. Every week, my program owners send an update to everybody on their project teams with project status, the milestones that are coming up in the next two weeks. And they have a little thing that says, is the project red, green, or yellow? Well, everybody knows what red, green, or yellow is. So if somebody like the business course owner doesn't do something or sign off on something that we need, it makes it much easier for me to escalate that no, hey, George, our project is red because we don't have your sign off. George will turn yeah. around pretty much immediately and sign off on whatever the thing is. But yeah. it helps us yeah. communicate better. Just putting those practices that we're learning into place, whatever they are, yes. just makes us stronger. Yes. Well, oh, geez. Now, I mean, now I need to have you on for another discussion at some point because it sounds like you have... I spent years at SpaceX trying to develop kind of like project management for L&D, you know, for our team, do it kind of what you're talking about. Um, I think we got there kind of, but I think you have a, sounds like you have a much better system than we ever got to. Um, so I, I do 100% agree that the more you can, especially if you're in a company that's like really busy and everybody's like really project focused, the more you can act like them. Uh, the easier it's going to be to work with everybody for sure. Yeah, it's it's awesome. always interesting to hear what the business thinks we can do and what they think we can't mm -hmm. do. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. one of the groups that we work with said, I think we want to use a vendor for this because we want to make it engaging. And I was like, hey, time out. That's what we do. <laughs> oh, oh, geez. <laughs> oh, no. I, uh, how did you how did you handle that? <laughs> um, we actually did a prototype for them. Oh, great! To yeah. show them just yeah. exactly what we could do because we hadn't really that particular program owner hadn't worked with this group before, so they were used to working with whatever they had worked with in the past and had certain ideas about what L and D could do or was capable of, and we're like, no, we're gonna deliver on this engaging thing. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. I mean, everybody has their own preconceived notion. And if in your company might have the most stellar L&D team ever, but somebody came from another well, company where it wasn't that way. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, awesome. And then, yeah, the best. So and the only way, you know, going back to kind of how we started this with like, you know, starting building relationships with stakeholders, the fastest way to build a strong relationship with a stakeholder is to quickly deliver something of quality. 
you know, like don't promise the moon, don't start with solving all the problems, just like identify this one thing, quick prototype, here you go, this is what we can do. And now you have a relationship that's based on working together, which is always going to be stronger. And they have something to react to. I think I missed that. What was the last thing you said? My internet cut out for a second. They have something to react to. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And they can tell you how they feel about it or what needs to change or what they like. That is that is exactly right. Awesome. Well, I think that is that is a great place to to end off. Um, so thank you so much for your time today, Lauren. Um, really appreciated it. And I, I do think we're gonna have to have another conversation just around L and D project management. That sounds like it could be a good discussion. <laughs> I'm down for sure. <laughs> Okay. We'll have, uh, it's Friday, end of the day. So have a great weekend. You too. Thanks, Matt. Bye. You know, we talk a lot about developing other people, um, and that's that's our role. Um, but how many of us actually get a chance to develop ourselves in our role, and what does that development look like? We are great at giving other people shoes as the shoemaker, but we are not good at making our own or making sure that we even have shoes on our feet sometimes. My mm-hmm. feeling is if we aren't developing ourselves, we're not going to get better. We aren't going to advance our profession, and that prioritizing yourself is going to help you look beyond just the core skills of learning Mm -hmm. and help you make better connections to both the business and what matters to them, as well as to your craft.